It's worth knowing what's really going on. This is the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, the Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. You all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. This, my friends, is Access Atlanta. It's a new podcast that shares the best things to do, see, eat, and experience. Welcome to Access Atlanta. This week, I'm here with uh, Bo Emerson, who is a staff writer here. Welcome, Bo. Thanks, Shane. Um, so, what have you brought us this week? Well, I had a little trip down memory lane recently. I uh, got a chance to be interviewed by this fellow named Andrew Iden, who's a CNN producer, but he's also a hiker and uh, on his own time puts together a podcast. It's called The 2180. And uh, the reason he was talking to me is because I was part of this project that five newspapers got together and did back in 1995. I might have chatted with you about this sometime. (laughs) We hiked the length of the Appalachian Trail, which is just about 2,180 miles long, hence 2180. Uh, And we did it in series, sort of as a relay race. And uh, the Journal Constitution was responsible for the first leg of the race, and I was responsible for the first 200 miles of our thing. So uh, right. uh, so we uh, we wrote about that back at the time. It was a great, great fun and, and a whole bunch of great stories. They ran all the way from April through October. And uh, then uh, 20 years later, we decided to do it again, although we actually only did about 20 miles. <laughs> I'm Bo Emerson. I am a feature writer for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and uh, I was a member of the team that uh, put together this hike back in 1995. Uh, I was only uh, one of about four or five hikers and, um, and I did about 200 miles from Springer Mountain up to the middle of the Smokies. And, uh, and then I thought, it's 20 years later, let's uh, see if any of these people still like hiking, and they all do. Or at least uh, most of them, many of them do, and so we all decided to get back together again and have another little hike. Not quite as long as the last one. The last one was 2,189 miles or so, and this one is only about 20. Summertime's spicing down and I'm on my way. 
My name is Walter Cumming. Uh, I am a, an artist, an illustrator. I was at the AJC 20 years ago on the trail with Bo Emerson. I'm Robin Rombach from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. At the time we hiked 20 years ago, I was an editorial board member and a columnist at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I can still close my eyes and see, because I backpacked over Memorial Day, uh, the rhododendron in just arches over the trail, and it was absolutely a gorgeous time of year. I uh, had the pleasure of walking with my mother, who's a writer for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, at least she was at the time, and we hiked in mid-Virginia. Uh, she hiked a week with my sister, who is not here, my older sister, and another week with me. I'm Don Hopi. I'm a reporter with the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette and was a reporter with the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette uh, 20 years ago when we did this uh, through hike of the Appalachian Trail. My name is Chris Hunt. I'm a freelance photographer from Atlanta, Georgia. I was working for the Atlanta Journal and Constitution in 1995. Uh, Bo Emerson and I were hiking together. We hiked from Wesser, North Carolina, which is where the Nanahel Outdoor Center is, to a newfound gap. Uh, in the middle of the Smoky Mountains National Park. All that is uh, just some of the most spectacular territory. It was something really unusual, something that people hadn't thought of doing, and so when we were doing it, people loved it, and they were behind it, and they just wanted to help in every way they could. We're a little older now, and uh, we don't have seven months to give. Uh, we only have maybe a weekend here, so... Um, we had a great time that last time. This time has been a lot of fun too, both for sort of different reasons, but the uh, common element is being out in the woods and also being with other newspaper reporters uh, and having a chance to work uh, together on the same thing. Nice. So Andrew uh, gave me a call, gave me a call after we ran this uh, wonderful uh, uh, story, sort of about our reunion. He asked to chat with me for his podcast, the Twenty One Eighty. And I said, "Well, how about if I talk with you for our podcast too?" <laughs> yeah. yeah. And his podcast is is pretty fascinating. I, I am not uh, uh, in in any way don't deserve to actually be in it uh, because I didn't do what all these other people have done. They have each one of them has done a through hike, which is. Uh, is a lot of commitment and a lot of time and uh, and some of the people he talked to uh, 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 are in particular had all kinds of uh, reasons to be there uh, he f talked with one fellow who was who was blind he talked with uh, uh, one fellow who decided on the spur of the moment after getting a call from his friend that he was hiking he says okay I'm coming too and uh, he talked with a, a psychology professor who decided she was going to get rid of her fear of heights, uh, and the way to do it was to climb mountains. Wow. Um, <laughs> and uh, so, but we talked about Andrew and his, uh, his growing up, and uh, he uh, grew up not far from where we had our, uh, our get-together, which was uh, up in uh, sort of that corner near the Potomac, where it runs into, what's that other river? Uh, uh, I don't know. What runs into that? Not the Allegheny. Um, what, what else is up there? Danged if I can remember. I can't remember. Harper's Ferry, though, is uh, where yes. we were. Okay, and, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Beautiful yeah. spot. And uh, and so he'd done a bunch of hiking as a as a kid, but um, so his he put together uh, what's what's been an ongoing uh, series of. Uh, of, of podcasts, talking to each one of these folks, and I don't know how many he's talked to. He must he's 
at least 20, 25, something like that. So that's yeah. a lot of people. Wow. That is. And I mean, that's that's quite a uh, an accomplishment. I mean, how long does does it take for people to do that? I know it, it varies widely depending on who they are. Well, here's but... the funny thing. Uh, uh, the people that that start and stay with it, uh, uh, it might take them five months, maybe maybe four months if they're really, uh, you know, getting it. Uh, six months if they're just uh, uh, moving at a, at a regular pace. It took us seven months because every time one of us got more or less in, in shape, we would get off the trail and the next crew would get on the trail and they would start out fat and pasty <laughs> and uh, breathing hard and, and then finally get themselves, you know, where they're in good uh, fit and uh, then they would get off the trail. Right. So we started, uh, did I say April? It might have been uh, March. And we, uh, we didn't get off the trail until October, which yeah. is when... Uh, between now and October is when a lot of folks are going to be winding up their hike uh, either down here in Georgia at uh, Springer Mountain or at the northern terminus, which is on Mount Katahdin in Baker State mm -hmm. Park in Maine, which is a fantastic place and where we all went to sort of get together at the very last uh, six miles of the hike. All five newspapers gathered together right. in, uh, in Mount Katahdin and climbed up it. Fantastic hike. Yeah, yeah. Well, it sounds fascinating, and and the the podcast itself, it's like so he he speaks with all these different people um, about their experiences, which I'm su I'm sure vary quite a bit. In well, he's got he's got young people, old people. He's got uh, people that that are I mean uh, that are struggling against great odds. He's got people that are just sort of finding themselves. Everybody gets a a bit of a. Uh, uh, introspection out of this experience. Right. I think one of the hardest things about it, uh, even if you only did 200 miles like me, is not getting bored. Yeah. Uh, because you do have to do the same thing and eat that same oatmeal day <laughs> after day. Um, but uh, in particular, when you get to Virginia, when it kind of flattens out and uh, Georgia, though, is one of the greatest part of the trail. Yeah. Uh, greatest parts of the trail. And I would recommend you all go ahead and do it right now. Right. Well, it's 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 fairly. It's not that long in Georgia, right? I mean, comparatively. Right. To... I mean, uh, I went in, from the beginning. Uh, I was already up in North Carolina by the time I got to my uh, the end of my stint, right. which was uh, two hundred miles, and right. part of that was already in uh, uh, the Smokies. So uh, yeah, I can't even remember how many miles in Georgia, but less than yeah. that. Yeah, because it starts way up there in North Georgia. So yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of not too far from Amicalola. Right. Cool. Well, awesome. Well, that's great. Um, so uh, we're going to hear a little bit more about uh, this podcast, the 2180. Is that right? Yes, sir. Yep. And I hope you're going to tag it at the end with uh, our brand new theme song. It'll either be now or later. <laughs> yes, folks, that's right. Bo composes our music. So, uh, you know, take take notice of, of what he does. Uh, it's, it's great stuff. Um, so here we go. Uh, let's hear Bo's story about the 2180. Thanks, Shane. Now you tell you tell us uh, who you are and where you're from and uh, and talk about this uh, how you ended up doing this. So I can give you the long version. <laughs> um, my name is Andy Ryden. I'm originally from Front Royal, Virginia, uh, which is about uh, I don't know half a mile from the start of Shenandoah National Park, Skyline Drive. So the Appalachian Trail throughout my childhood and my youth was like always just there and it was always kind of weaving through you know I went to summer camp and I worked or worked at a 4-H center 
um, and was a camp counselor for four summers and worked there. And so like I would take kids up on the trail and kind of teach them. I, I wasn't like a, you know, a hardcore outdoors person. But like with kids, I just knew some of the bullet points of like what the AT was. You look like an outdoors person. <laughs> so, um, just so you know, this guy looks like Grizzly Adams, all right? <laughs> so, you know, I took kids up onto the trail and I would explain, you know, we'd walk up to the AT and we'd be standing there to have, to have a group of like 10 or 12 kids, you know, between like 7 and 12. And I would explain that way is Georgia and that way is Maine. And it was always funny because these kids' eyes would like turn into like dinner plates because they didn't even realize, you know, like, oh my God, people walk this way. <laughs> and every now and then on a good day, we would have a hiker come through, you know, with a beard down to his chest and he smelled really bad and he had a backpack on. And like that would send the kids, their heads would just start spinning. So... And he'd give each one of them a cigarette. <laughs> yeah, right, right. And I would have to be like, ah, not appropriate, no. Um, so I, the AT was always just something that was interesting to me. And uh, I always kind of had this fascination with people who do cool things like that. Um, because I knew the challenges that it, invo- that it involved, you know, physically, mentally, and financially, and time-wise, and all that stuff. So um, it was just always a really cool thing that I felt like not a lot of people, you know, knew about. And so, you know, I've always said that, like, if I'm at a party and I run into somebody and they're like, oh, yeah, and I find out they've hiked the AT, I'm going to corner them and talk to them for, like, an hour because I just have so many questions. <laughs> and so... Um, now, were you a Boy Scout? Did you go out? No, I wasn't really a Boy Scout, but I was in 4-H. So, you know, I would go to camp and uh, we would, you know, I, we stayed in lodges, but, you know, a couple, couple times I would go out into the woods with, you know, kids and kind of show them how to set up tents and stuff like that. So... Not a Boy Scout, but I did have some experience, you know, as a, as a teenager kind of doing that kind of stuff. So um, fast forward, I moved to Atlanta to start working um, in my current job, which is I work at CNN. And so I do, you know, some projects outside of work. Um, I do some, you know, done some writing projects and stuff like that. And I always had this idea about the AT kind of like, What's really interesting to me is hearing people tell their stories about their experience of the Appalachian Trail. And what's fascinating to me is that, you know, I, I had somebody say to me a couple of weeks ago, he was like, the trail is exactly the same for everyone, but the journey is incredibly different. And so it kind of stuck with me like, it's true. There's a lot of things that everyone experiences on the trail, but there's also a lot of things that are very unique to each person's story. And so whether that's the motivation for doing it, whether that's, you know, what they learned about themselves, what they learned about other people, um, it's kind of one of those experiences that, like, there's not a lot of uh, storytelling about it. I mean, there's a number of books and things, but I really wanted to drill down with people about, in their words, what the experience was like. And so the more I thought about it, you know, I originally, my idea was to kind of do it as a video series. The more I thought about it, I thought, no, actually a podcast works great because it's, you know, a lot of times hiking is it's this very intimate experience where it's just you and, you know, the idea of podcasts with, it's like you're in their ear and I'm like, it's perfect. It's people telling their stories and it's a very one-on-one thing. So, um, and now this is all about people who have hiked the whole trail. Well, it's not even just, it's not even, well, it started as, um, and I guess I should back up my, the, the concept is that this year marks the 70th anniversary of the first person to hike the AT, Earl Schaefer. Earl Schaefer. So I got to thinking and I was like, I don't does know. Does that include we, Grandma Gatewood? It 
does. She was the first woman through Hiker, I believe. All right. I mean, I'm sure somebody's going to hear this and maybe correct me. I right. might be wrong. Or maybe she was the oldest woman at one point. I can't remember what her, you know, what her mark was. She was the one who put the rest of us to shame because she right. didn't even have on hiking shoes. Right. She just and had it was on like a dress sneaker. or a skirt. Uh, or like she just took off walking. Sandwich in a paper bag. Right, right. Um, so I got to thinking and I was, you know, I didn't know how many of these I was going to do. But I thought to myself, well, if I do 70, it's a nice round number. And it's kind of like... If seventy episodes episodes of this kind of serve as like a seventy chapter audio story of what the AT means to people, and you know seventy being you know one episode to kind of mark each year since Earl Schaefer's first through hike. So um, now you've not through hiked it yourself, though. I have not. How how far have you gone? I've d- I mean I've done some some pieces of it around in Virginia, but like. I mean, less than less than a hundred miles. <laughs> like, I I don't have an extensive you know resume of hiking. Um, I do enjoy hiking and I do enjoy being outside, um, but I am by no means you know a through hiker myself at all. Um, so the the idea came to me. And I was like, this this makes perfect sense. It'll be a seventy episode podcast uh, to kind of you know salute Earl Schaefer's seventieth anniversary. And so um, I kind of started in, I guess it was November or December of last year. My, my theory was this, the podcast will launch in the spring, which is, you know, peak hiker season. And I thought if I'm going to do 70, that's a pretty good number. I'm going to need to start early. So by the time I kick this thing off, I've got a number already done. And so in November and December, you know, my wife was like, I think you should do it. I think you should just go for it. So I started the process of, you know, casting, for lack of a better term, uh, researching, finding people. And being in Georgia, it's been great because it's it's not difficult. I mean, there are AT hikers, whether you know it or not, there's like, there's one like in every, every corner. Right. Um, and it's funny because it supports my theory, which is, you know, if you talk about the AT, someone's going to go, oh, you know, my uncle did that. Or... Oh, my brother's girlfriend's mom. Like, everyone's got, like, a two-degree separation from somebody who's done it. And so my theory was I don't need to find 70 people. I probably should find, like, 35. And then the Let rest will find. come. Right. And then the rest will come along. And that's really been the case is there's been a lot of, like, oh, I'll have to put you in touch with so-and-so. And so the other thing is that um, when people talk about the AT, whether they're comfortable speaking on microphones or not, I have found that people are incredibly candid and honest and passionate about it. And because, emotional. Yeah, I mean, they wouldn't do it if they weren't passionate about it. So it's really, it's there's not a lot of heavy lifting here in terms of getting people to tell their stories. And they do get emotional. I had I talked to a guy a couple weeks ago, like, we were sitting there having a conversation, and I asked him, I said, you know, talk to me about the last day when you got to the top of Katahdin, and he just kind of broke down on the microphone and was like, I'd never really thought about it, but like there was a lot of things going on in my day, in my life. And, you know, walking up that mountain kind of got them all stirred up. And so um, it's been fun to kind of get people to, uh, you know, open up about that kind of thing. What do you find is the uh, common element, if there is one, that makes people want to do this? What, uh, what are the people like who, ha- who have done the through hike that you've talked to so far? Um, I would say it is mostly... And I think this might be, I think there is a perception that anyone who does it is going out seeking some sort of larger, you know, revelation about themselves or they're seeking something that they otherwise won't be able to find. I don't think that's the case. 
I think most of the time, I think people do it because it's there. They're like, it's it's there, and it's a cool thing that people do. I want to do it. It's very practical. But with that said, along the way, they find out things about themselves that they didn't know. So, I, like, my thought is, and I could be completely wrong, but in my experience in talking to people, it's rare that someone says, I'm going to go hike DAT because I need to fill this void in my life. I'm missing X. What they do is they say, I want to do that because I've heard about it and always thought it was a really awesome thing. They do it, and when it's done, they go, wow, a void that I didn't know was there was filled with X. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. So, so yeah, I think, uh, I think people... And, you know, it's to walk 2,180-plus miles, I mean, that's not easy. And I didn't think I could walk 200 miles. <laughs> well... To walk the whole way, and it's and you know it's not like two thousand miles of just a road. It's up and down and around and over and through. And like, I think that there's a lot of people that just kind of run towards things like that because it's a thing that exists that is difficult, and they have this kind of insatiable desire to do it, you know, regardless right. of the difficulty. And so, that's one of the things that I found with a lot of these folks is. Uh, is kind of like this run towards... They always talk about the phrase, embrace the suck. <laughs> which is like, it's going to suck, it's going to be hard, but like it's where it's whether you decide to accept that or not. Yeah, and we had to do that on the very first uh, day and the next three days uh, right. on our trip. Uh, it was That's an old army thing too, isn't right. it? Right, yeah, yeah, army or marines or uh-huh. something. It's uh, like, it's going to suck, and as soon as you accept that, it will get a lot easier. And so um, the other thing is that, um, that I've found is that there is a common um, feeling of, of people being good. And like one of the common things people say to me is that, you know, I went out on this walk and I managed to see some of the best in people, in their generosity, in their kindness, in their uh, ability to kind of connect with each other. Um, I talked to a guy the other week who said it was one of the more profound experiences in his life was he said he was sitting, um, I I can't remember where it was, but he was sitting at a campfire and there's about 10 or 12 people sitting around this campfire at night. And he's like, I couldn't see any faces, but I was talking and other people were talking. They were talking about things in their life. And he's like, and I had just walked up on this circle and just kind of dropped my pack and sat down and like, he said he hadn't been there 10 minutes and he was like, there was a banker, there was a chef, there was a, you know, uh, sanitation worker. It was just these, all these different walks of life had kind of gathered around this fire in this very like kind of prehistoric kind of way, like you would have seen millions of years ago, but they're all talking about their lives and like just completely stripped away of any pretense. And he was like, and all the obstacles, all the d- divisions are gone. Right, right. And, and I don't know where you find that now. Not too many places. And uh, it's interesting that in order to find that, you have to go as far away <laughs> from normal everyday life as you possibly can. Uh-huh. I mean, in, in, in life, we're all, you know, we're all packed into these areas and these towns and these cities where you're like, your neighbor is two inches away from you. Right. And you don't know anything about them, but you walk 2,000 miles into the woods and you sit down in this campfire and you learn about this chef and the sanitation worker and this, you know, teacher. And it's just, um, 
I don't know what else there is that's like it. Do you fear that there's going to be a point where it will it'll become untenable, but it'll get overrun? Or um, I do, but I also know, and I think that the organizations that do a lot of the work, you know, the Appalachian Trail Club and the various state groups and they work incredibly hard to try to figure out a way that they can accommodate everybody and still maintain the trail in its purest form. And so, and people are incredibly protective of it and they're incredibly passionate about doing things to keep it the way it needs to be. So while I do have concerns, I think at the end of the day, I think the, the work and the efforts of those groups is going to be what manages to keep it, you know, tenable. What's uh, who, what's some of the more idiosyncratic people that you've had a chance to talk to, uh, uh, whether in extreme uh, young youth or age? Or I don't know if idiosyncratic. I haven't really hit any kind of like eccentric people yet, mm-hmm. and I know that will probably come. But I'll tell you this: I interviewed a guy who kept his tent pitched in his apartment. He he liked to live in his tent in his tent and cook on his cook stove. So he lived inside a building. Yeah. But slept in a tent and cooked yeah. on an outdoor stove. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I mean at that point, what's the what's the what are the walls for? You know, I guess you're you wasting money. <laughs> like, why are you paying rent or paying a mortgage? Yeah. Um, I haven't had anybody really eccentric, but I had I did talk to one guy who. Um, it was kind of this, you know, I, I've done a lot of research and looking for people and kind of researching different stories, but I was at the Appalachian Trail kickoff event and a young man walked into my, into the room where I had my microphone set up and he was like, is this a, is this a podcast? And I was like, yeah. And he said, uh, he was like, cool. Is it about the AT? And I, I said, yeah. So I explained, you know, what it was. And, um, he, he was with the United Methodist Church. They had an, they have an Appalachian Trail chaplaincy program which is they have someone from the UMC who goes and hikes the entire trail every year. And he's a chaplain. And um, Just in case somebody needs some religious instruction. Well, you know, it's interesting. He said to me, he was like, you know, this, he said the whole goal of my, my whole role was not to go like knock on tents and say, have you heard about Jesus? I mean, he's like, "I'm, I'm with the Methodist church. We're a little bit mellow in terms of, he said, my, my role was generally to, to, to a hike the trail and if people needed something, you know, some sort of, you know, spiritual assistance of any kind, there I was. But, like, I was primarily a hiker. But I was a resource should it need, should need to be utilized. Did but, he get utilized? Yeah, he actually, he told a great story um, about coming up on a group of people. And I, I'm trying to remember, there was a girl there whose sister had passed away recently. And I believe she had, like, drowned in the river. It was something tragic. And the girl, so he just kind of walked up on this group and got to know them in a conversation. And that's why they were there. And she had asked him to put a blessing over the river. And like, so he did that. And he said, and he said to me, he was like, you know, I wasn't terribly, cause he's still young and new in his uh, career as a pastor. So he's not fully comfortable with that stuff yet. But he was like, you know, this girl needed some spiritual assistance. And so he blessed the river and they said a prayer and he was like, I think she, was able to finally come to some closure with what happened to her sister. Wow. And so, but what was interesting, it's funny because I've kind of diverted here, but like, 
so it was the serendipitous. He just kind of saw the gear, and so we started talking. And um, I asked him if he wanted to sit down for a conversation, and so we started talking. And it turns out he so he's from Hillsville, Virginia, which is Central Virginia, and he had run afoul of the law. He had been arrested for, uh, I believe it was distribution of methamphetamine. And he, at one point in his life, you know, there was, he just had a whole lot of bad things going. And um, he went and he got clean. And he said he had always hiked, you know, even before all this stuff as a kid and as a youngster, he had spent time outside. And uh, it was just really interesting because I didn't really anticipate his story. And he sat down and started talking and I was like, this is an amazing story. And so he is now clean and sober he is a pastor at two different churches. He, um, what really resonated with me was when he was talking about how he was uh, walking through Virginia and heading into North Carolina. And he's like, you know, it really struck me because, you know, a, a year or two prior, he's like, I couldn't even leave the state without calling my probation officer. And here I am walking through 13 different states, yeah. 2,000 miles, and like having the adventure of a lifetime. And he's like, I never really understood how lucky I was until I was walking across those states. Now, his uh, sort of re- resuscitation preceded his his career as a hiker. It wasn't the trail that, that made him better. Well, I, I, you know, anybody who's who's sober will tell you that they're on, they're sober that day. You know, yeah. it's a day by day. Right. So, um, yes, the hike was not hiking was not his uh, his rehabilitation. However. It was apparent to me that uh, that experience for him um, was incredibly profound because it really underscored the value of what he had and what was available to him as, you know, getting a second chance, so to speak, and Uh like getting clean and getting a job and being, you know, not only not only just getting a job, but like he was a pastor at two different churches and he was working a lot with like... uh, you know, some, uh, some recovery groups. And like, so he was really like doing some great work. And it was like, I think the hike really afforded him the opportunity to kind of put in perspective, like what he had and what he possibly could have thrown out the window had he continued down the path. Yeah. Yeah. It was a way to cement what, what he'd already, yeah, already yeah. accomplished. And, and it's interesting because he said he had done hiking as a kid. So so the walking outside, it sounds like it was always a thing, even during his his struggles. But like he really was able to quantify what he was risking, you know. Let me ask you this: the uh, um, I've heard this expressed uh, a couple of times is that one of the big challenges once you've gone like four hundred, five hundred miles, once you've once you've really made a big dent in the trail, is not to get bored. Do, do people talk about that? Yeah. A couple of people I've talked to have said, you know, there are bouts of boredom. And, you know, that's where the psychological challenges come in. Because, you because ha- I mean, boredom is like one of the strongest, like, toughest things to overcome. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I don't know if in your experience you heard people talk about this, but they often talk about the Virginia Blues. Because right. Virginia's got such a, I believe it's the largest amount of the trail in one state is in Virginia. Uh-huh. And so, like... And a lot of it is not that interesting. Right. And a lot of the... I mean, if you think about walking for four months or whatever, you're constantly thinking about the progress that you're going to make. 
and you know you do that how do you do that you do that by mile markers and states right so like you know you start in georgia you're like georgia tennessee north carolina virginia and then it's like virginia forever <laughs> and so you're like oh my god i'm not I'm, like i can imagine it only feels like you're not making any progress uh-huh. so like that's where the boredom sets in yeah. and you're starting to like you know really start to doubt like if this is a thing um again i mean this is what i'm told <laughs> i didn't i haven't done this but like yeah, so boredom is a very real and very legitimate concern. Now, uh, the, the on the other hand, uh, once you get over that, it starts getting interesting again really, really soon after. Yeah, I would imagine so. Because you're kind of hitting West Virginia, Maryland, yeah. Pennsylvania, because all those states are then condensed. Yeah. And then they talk about that four-state challenge where you do four states in one day. Which I believe is Virginia, West Virginia, Maryland, and Pennsylvania. Oh, is that right? Yeah, I believe there's a like a little. It's like a little hook that if you do it right, you go boom, 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 uh-huh. and you can do it in like twelve hours or eighteen hours or something. So yeah, boredom's a real thing that uh, a lot of people deal with. And you think to yourself, okay, well, I've I've done enough. I don't need to do the whole thing. But then maybe you know, maybe that's your mind just trying to take it. Well, that's that's those people that like run towards the challenge of yeah. like, no, I'm not going to not do this. Right. Like, I'm going to finish this. Now, did it make you uh, uh, have the urge to get out there yourself? Uh, it has actually. My wife and I have started hiking more, um, doing like you know, anytime we can. She travels a ton for work, so like weekends when we're both home and both available, we're trying to get outside more. And that's like as in like overnight type hikes, mostly day hikes. Day hikes. Um, but you know, we've we've obviously been talking about like we need to get some overnight stuff on the books because I enjoy being outside and like hearing these stories. I'm like, there's no reason I can't be doing this. Now, <laughs> Andrew, how old are you? I am 38. And so uh, you're still flexible enough to sleep on the ground and be happy about it. Right? I am. I am. Um, How does your wife feel about that? No, she's not, she actually wants to hike the entire thing. Wow. Yeah, it's interesting to also talk to people about um, whether they choose to do it alone or not. Or their sense of safety. What, 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 what did you get, uh, gather from them on that? I, just about everyone I've talked to has had an incredibly pleasant experience. Yeah. And not really... I mean, aside from kind of like some weird people that they just were like, yeah, I'm going to kind of keep my distance. But like, there's been no real like issues or weird, uh-huh. you know, interactions where there was unsafe, a feeling of un- being not being safe. Like, I haven't really talked to anybody who's had those. Um, and I've talked to men and women. I mean, at this point, uh-huh. you know, I've done, it's probably right down the middle. I've talked to the same amount of men as women. And uh, it's generally, um, in fact, I spoke to a woman uh by the name of Susie McNeely, who is uh, one of the toughest women I've ever met in my life. And she has hiked probably, she's probably got 20,000 miles of hiking under her belt. Uh-huh. She's done the AT, the Continental Divide Trail, the Pacific Crest Trail. Wow. And she hiked it in 1979 with two of her friends. So it was three young girls, all recently graduated from college. And I asked her, I said, you know, this is 79, you know, how did your father feel about you going out with them? And he's like, she was like, well, he was not happy about it. And I said, was there any weird experiences? She's like, there was not a one. Everyone treated us exactly the same. Um, and again, that's not to say that there aren't weird folks or, you know, odd experiences. But, you know, I think that it is generally, and it circles back to kind of the theory that I have, which is it is generally a very, like, it is a good 
thing that has maintained and sustained some sort of like positivity to it. Well, one of the things my uh, friend Dave Toulis, a photographer, said is, uh, you know, eight miles of, of steep trail is a great filter from, to get rid of jerks. It's like it's, it's true. It's really true. It's hardly anybody who's a jerk is going to want to put that right. much effort into no. it. No, no, it takes work. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, it's um, it's been interesting talking to people and hearing these experiences because. Like, I, like that guy said to me, you know, the trail is the same for everybody, but the journey is, is completely different. Let's see what's happening in and around Atlanta over the next 10 days. It's an incredibly versatile grain that's been gaining in popularity in recent years as adventurous eaters seek out something a little different. But in Blairsville, sorghum has been celebrated annually for nearly 50 years. The form that's most familiar is sorghum syrup, and that's what you'll find flowing freely over the course of two weekends in the North Georgia Mountain Town on October 13th and 14th and 20th and 21st. Blairsville, in the heart of Union County, puts on one of the high country's most distinctive events as local citizens, businesses, and organizations come together to honor this most versatile crop. Whether it's popped or juiced and cooked down into a delicious syrup, there's plenty of things to love about sorghum. Head north to Blairsville for the annual Blairsville Sorghum Festival beginning October 13th. Admission is just $5 and includes loads of entertainment, syrup making, arts and crafts vendors, and best of all, a biscuit eating contest because there's no better way to sop up sorghum syrup than with a tasty biscuit. Find out how to get to the fest and what else they have going on at BlairsvilleSorghumFestival.com. Check out the 11th annual Taste of Chambly. Like the city where it takes place, it offers cuisines from all over the globe. The taste will range from Mexican to Indian to Italian, celebrating the diverse restaurant community in Chambly. And since it's autumn in the South, the event will feature SEC college football games on two giant LED screens. And there's something for the youngsters, too, with a family-friendly kid zone. Admission to the event is free, but wristbands cost $16.99 each, and they're preloaded with 15 taste points, which are redeemable at the booths for tastings that range from 1 to 5 points per sample. Top-up stations will be available on site to add taste points for $1 each. Experience a taste of Chambly from 4 to 8 p.m. on Saturday, October 6th in downtown Chambly at the corner of Peachtree Road and Broad Street. Find out more at tasteofchamley.net. Take a trip back to the first decade of the 20th century with The Royale, a look inside the segregated world of boxing. Loosely based on the story of Jack Johnson, the first black world heavyweight champion, the story concerns a fight planned by a crooked promoter and a young fighter who finds himself facing the reigning white defender. Theatrical Outfit presents this Atlanta premiere of a play by Marco Ramirez, which examines our fascination with athletic heroes and the responsibilities thrust upon them outside of the ropes. Catch this thought-provoking production at the Balzer Theater at Herons in downtown Atlanta, beginning on October 10th and running through November 4th. Tickets are $18 to $51, and you can find those online at theatricaloutfit.org. Oakhurst Porch Fest is a community music festival where neighborhood porches are transformed into stages and yards become venues hosting musical artists. This grassroots community music event expects more than 200 acts to perform, while attendees can stroll from house to house while also enjoying pop-ups, selling refreshments, learning about nonprofits raising funds and awareness for their causes, and checking out artists and crafters all around the community. 
and it's a totally free day of family fun. Don't miss the most neighborly music festival in Metro Atlanta as the fourth year of the Oakhurst Porch Fest happens on Saturday, October 13th from noon until 7 p.m. at homes around the Oakhurst neighborhood in Decatur. Check out the website at oakhurstporchfest.org for participating artists and maps and schedules. For more things to do around Metro Atlanta, head to accessatlanta.com. Our senior editor is Nicole Smith, podcast edited by Ryan Horn, music by Bo Emerson and Billy Guin, and I'm your host, Shane Harrison. Join us next week for more Access Atlanta.